This morning I'm going to talk about to know God. And every time we begin to talk about to know God, many times it, it gets off in the wrong direction. This morning I'm not talking about a degree of spirituality that as you progress in your Christian life, you get higher and higher and higher in the Lord or deeper and deeper and deeper. You see, both of those things are kind of a, a conundrum because sometimes we say, well, I'm growing in the Lord. And the other says, I'm getting deeper in the Lord. People outside that don't know the Lord get confused which way you're going. Other than that, I've had people come up to me and as I begin to talk to them, they say, preacher, you need to know I'm a, I am spiritual. And whenever somebody says that to me, I kind of back off. Do y'all remember the Twilight Zone? Every time somebody comes up and says, you know, pastor, I'm spiritual, I begin to hear, da, 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 da. I don't know where they're going with it. We're going to talk about knowing God. You see, that's the key, the key to life. And God not only calls us to know him, God reveals himself to us. And so as we think about a life in Christ, it's simply getting to know someone that is, you, you sense his presence no matter where you are or what you're doing. You don't have to withdraw from the world to get to know God better. You know God better walking with him where you walk every day. Uh, when we look at the Gospels, it's a story of 12 men who walked where Jesus walked who saw what Jesus did, who, was, who participated in the ministry, but they got to know the heart of the man that confused people. God wants you to know them. You see, the book of Exodus is more than ten plagues. I find most people, when you say, what about Exodus, say, well, there are ten plagues. Well, there's more than ten plagues, more than about ten plagues. It's more than about... Uh, God's uh, fight with the great gods, thousands of gods of Egypt. It's more than the calling and the making of the nation Israel. And it's really wound up in this last part. And so we're, I'm going to look at two things today. One of them is the, uh, the tabernacle, and the other we're going to look at is the cross. You see... God took 70 people, descendants of Abraham, and exited them with over 2 million people. Because God was calling to himself a peculiar people to be his light into this world. But there's no doubt Israel had questions like many of you have questions. The number one question after living in a land with a thousand gods was probably, is there one true God? You see, that's a question not only asked then, that's a question that I hear people asking now. Is there one true God? Well, the answer for Israel was simple. He defeated all of the gods of Egypt, every one of them. And again, there were thousands. And for 450 years, generation after generation had been raised around idol worship, knowing from Word of mouth from family to family, from that 70 to the 2 million, that there was a deliverer that would come. And we hear that they cried out for one. 
Number, the second question they probably ask is, there is one true God. Who is that God? Who is God? And the answer to that is very simple. He revealed himself and identified himself. Yes, today I hear people confused. Well, who is the one true God? Uh, the writer of, of Romans, Paul, said, heavens declare the glory of God. I drive over from Lake County. And every morning when I get in my Jeep and I start getting down the road, all of a sudden it, in that eastern sky, you just begin to see this glow. And it begins to get larger. And every morning my mind goes back to the psalmist that says, the sun rises like a bridegroom emerging from his, from his chamber. You look around. God identifies himself. The next question is, if there's a true God, and I know who that God is, can I know him? This is a question that's a 21st century question. Can I know him? Well, for Israel, the answer was very simple. He rescued them and he called them to himself. Do you realize God could have just called them out of Egypt, put a road sign and said, Cana's that way, good luck. But he didn't. He not only called them to himself, he rescued them from their slavery. Then their question had to be, does he care for me personally? Personally. There's a lot of us. Does, does he know who I am? And the answer to that was he provided protection, care, and provision. Every need they had, he provided. Those same questions are asked today. Uh, this is not something back in just in that time. Even though we're in a nation, and even though the number one selling book is still the Bible, people are still confused about, is there a God? Who is that God? Can I know him? And perhaps the most important question is, does he know me? We live in a crowd syndrome. We look at crowd. We talk about reaching the world, and certainly that is that in-game result. We want to reach the world. And we talk about gathering in numbers. But does this God know me personally? The Bible tells us that before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Before he formed you in the womb, he knew the number of days you would have on this earth. Not only that, before the foundations of the world, let me give you something that's hard to get your head around. God saw everything that would ever happen and every individual known intimately to him, every step, every thought of our lifetime. We do not serve an impersonal God. We don't serve a God that created heavens and earth and retreated to see what we've done with it. God is here. And he began that story to us as he told that story to Israel. Exodus 29, 45 through 46, we find these words. I will dwell. That word dwell is interpreted tabernacle. I will tabernacle among you. And I'll show you the significance in a minute. minute. Among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know 
that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell, tabernacle among them. I am the Lord their God, personal God. They will know. In Deuteronomy 7, we find these words. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people to his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest. Two million people was a drop in the bucket back then. There was nation, Egypt, all the nations around them were larger. You were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, therefore, know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Those words are meaningful today in our life because we are living in a place where people don't really know who they are. They, they've never discovered who they are. There are people who live without any significance in their life. That's why we have different fads that we have had over the years. You know, from the, the wearing of all black and dying hair black. All of the fads that we've had in dress is simply people crying out that says, Here am I. Does anybody know that I'm out there? And even though we live in a society that has better communication than there ever has been, I want you to know that you cannot replace a personal one-on-one with a person and a personal one-on-one with a God by tweeting, by texting, and by email. That's still impersonal. God says, I want you to know me, but more just as important, I want you to know that I know you. Let's look at this tabernacle. Now let me set this up. If you read and remember through Deuteronomy, the people had griped and grumbled when they saw Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. They griped because they were thirsty. They griped for, for they were hungry. They just griped and griped and griped because they didn't know how to be free. And And so... And it got so bad that they built this golden calf, which was a picture of one of the idols, main idols and gods of Egypt. And when Moses come down from the mountain, they were dancing, the scripture says, not only dancing, but engaging in lewd practices. And, and so Moses took his tent and the scripture says he moved it far outside the camp. Now it wasn't that Moses was mad at the people, it was a visible illustration. Because you see, Moses' tent is where Moses met with God every day. And in the significance of him moving his tent 
said to the people, God is moving out of your midst. And when you read that passage of scripture, it said every day Moses would come out to the front of his tent and the glory of the Lord would appear. And all of the people that were back in their camp would come to the door of their tent and just watch. And they would stand there. No doubt some of them were wishing. Some of them may be saying, you know, this is what we get. But the picture was God outside the camp and unreachable. Then God began to teach a lesson. God moved, made the tabernacle complex. Let's look at that complex. This is the complex. This is an outer court. Here, there's two sections, the holy place and the holy of holies. This is the door to that tabernacle. Now, what would happen on the day of atonement They would bring a goat to the door. The priest would come out and lay his hands on the head of the goat. And it's symbolic of the the priest asking God's forgiveness and transferring his sins to the sins of the goat. It also signified in the laying on of hands that the priest was transferring the sins of all of the people onto the head of the goat. And then someone would take that goat and walk him far, far in the wilderness. So far, the goat could never find his way back to camp, which was a picture of God forgetting your sins and casting them as far as the east and from the west. You see how up to date that is? See where we're going? In here, this is where the sacrifice was offered. This is where a laver of water, which the priest cleaned with, he entered. And let's do we have that picture of this tent cut in half. Yeah, there we go. This curtain separates the holy place from the holy of holies. Here we have the table of showbread, which were 12 loaves. The priest, this was for the priest. The priest would come in and this was their food. Then there was this, the light that represented the light that would be and that is opening up the darkness from there you would they would take the blood into the holy of holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat because the only piece of furniture here was the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat on top the mercy seat had a cherubim on either side as if guarding it the blood was sprinkled from the top that signified God looking from the heavens down on the mercy seat at the blood that was shed for the people, for the remission of sin. So when God looked down from heaven, he saw the blood. Sounded familiar? Let me show you how they camped and how they marched. Were y'all able to do that picture? Okay, I... I can improvise. You ready? Okay, you got me up there. Tabernacle was placed right in the middle. Three tribes on each side. North, south, east, and west. Immediately around the tabernacle, the Levites pitched their tent. So if you look down from above, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, was in the middle of the camp, surrounded by, hey, there we go. Surrounded 
by all of the children of Israel. Now they were closer. And the Levites figure a picture of two million people in camp. And then when they moved out, this whole place, they didn't scatter. They just simply marched. And as they marched, the tabernacle was in the very center of the camp, meaning the center of the life of a nation. Can you see the pictures where we're going? I mean, I have heard preachers say that the Old Testament is irrelevant. And I have a word for it. You're irrelevant. Because the, temp- the Old Testament is shadows of the coming of what the reality would be. Get this picture. What would our nation be like if it signified the people of a nation in lockstep? Worshiping a God that dwells in their midst. You see, that's what God wanted. God wanted to say, look, I I am leaving outside the camp. I'm going to tabernacle with you. You see, in that tabernacle, there were three words for that tabernacle. One was sanctuary, which means a dwelling place because God chose to live among his people. Second was the tent of meeting. They transferred the name of Moses' tent to this tent that was there. The tent of meeting is where God held an audience with them to forgive their sins and receive their sacrifices. Then it was called the tabernacle of testimony. Why? Because it housed the tablets of law, God's covenant with his people. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? It had the law in there. That represented the law, the mercy seat on top, the blood was sprinkled, signifying that in the law was the main moral code, but it took a sacrifice of blood to cover the sins of people who could not come up to the standards of the law. I hope I'm not, have I lost anybody? I, I love this. I've been studying on this two weeks. When you see that picture. Now, what do we have today? Everything I've just said that God did for Israel. He's done for us. But he has not done it through a building. You see... When we all leave this building, God's presence doesn't live here. You know, used to, we used to get all uptight about being, this be the sanctuary. This last sanctuary was destroyed in 70 AD. From that point on, there's not been any temple sacrifices. This is a worship center where we gather. And the Spirit of God is present in this room for one reason. The people of God who know him... Enter this room. And God tabernacles in this sanctuary. We are his sanctuary. And he dwells with us. And the thing is, he, amen. You can give God the hand on that. That's, that's, that's good stuff. You see, that's the difference in religion. Religion has do's and don'ts. Every religion created happens this way. They begin to take the original and add things that people like. And we call them traditions. 
And they would go back in the Bible and they would look at little things that really doesn't matter. Because the things that matter is who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, what is the way of salvation. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. But there are things like the Lord's table. We are fortunate that we, when we gather, we sit at the Lord's table. Some churches do it different. So religion came in and said, we want our share of the people, so we'll add just some stuff that they kind of like, and they'll come follow us. But you see, today, it is not religion. It is not being a spiritual person. It is knowing Jesus Christ, the God who came to earth in the form of man, got on the cross and offered the ultimate sacrifice of life. And that came on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to look at some things. Look at John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them. He was in uh, surrounded by Pharisees. And Jesus had said something like, unless you eat my body and drink my blood. And they were confused about that. And so they, they really didn't know what they were talking about. So Jesus, as he always did, he clarified it. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Do you remember the lampstand? The lampstand was in darkness. The light in the lampstand never went out, signifying the overriding presence of God. Jesus came and said, I am that true light that comes down from heaven. Matthew 26, 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. Now, in this, they were talking about the manna that came down from heaven. And the verse right before this simply says, Jesus said, Moses did not give you, your people, bread in the wilderness. The bread came from God. Then he said, I, he take it, blessed it, and gave it to the disciples. And he said, here we go. Take, eat, this is my body. The Bible is so clear. I think you have to really go in with preconceived ideas and a mind that will not see truth, not to understand. God didn't give your, Moses didn't give your people bread in the wilderness. God sent it. God sent his only son, the light of the world, the bread of life. John 6, 31 through 35. Our fathers ate the bread in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Where did God, Jesus Christ come from? Heaven. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, Jesus, and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The bread of life. Jesus is that table of showbread. Ephesians 1, 7. 
In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In him, the mercy seat is Jesus. It's his blood that was shed for us. And when you read the Hebrew writer, we're going to read a couple of texts, but the Hebrew writer says there never is going to be a need of another sacrifice. Some people have argued you can lose your salvation. I say to you, you can't lose something you did not get because salvation is all of God from start to finish. And so it's not dependent on you. It is a one-side covenant where God says, when you come to me and lay your life down and give yourself as a living sacrifice for me, you will have eternal life. Jesus is that ultimate sacrifice. What about the covenant of the law? Hebrews 8. Now the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, Jesus, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. That is us it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Do you realize that picture you saw? You can lay that down on the original temple that was built. And that temple that was built followed the design of the tabernacle in the wilderness to signify that. What about a priest? You know, the priest, they offered once a year for the atonement of sin. They had daily offerings. They were constantly at work. If the high priest who offered the sacrifice for atonement died, even if he died the next day, the people had to come back with an offering and offer a sacrifice for their sin because the high priest that had received and sprinkled the blood was dead. What about our high priest? Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Can you see the cross and the tabernacle? Can you see God's desire since Adam and Eve to have a people 
to fellowship with. And not just for people to worship blindly, but to know God wanted to be known to Israel. God, through his son, Jesus Christ, wants us to be known today. You know, life begins at conception. Sorry for all the other ignorant people in the world. It begins at conception. See if you clap at this. But living begins when you lay that life down for Christ. Amen. You see, God doesn't require animal sacrifices. He said, we are that sacrifice. We are to be a living sacrifice, serving a living God. God himself revealed himself. He revealed himself through his son. Friends, there are people maybe sitting here that worship blindly, that study blindly, not really fully knowing. Yes, we're supposed to fear God. But it's not a fear that says, I want to stay away from. It's a fear that realizes he's a sovereign God, that the, promise, the keeper of the promise is Jesus Christ. He's alive and on the throne, and forever will he be alive as the guarantee of our faith. Do you know him? Do you know him beyond Scripture? Do you trust him? Do you wait on him and hope in him? Do you, do you listen to his instruction? Listen, so many times it sounds like we're saying, give, give, do, do, hear, hear, what, what. And people get confused. God is a personal God. He knows you. He's personally equipped you. He's personally provided for you. He will direct and instruct your life. And you're not a robot because within him is your spirit. And there is this spirit of I want to. I want to please that one that died and gave his blood for me. I want to know that one who is the highest authority there ever been. And is opening up and said, come and live with me. Walk with me. Talk with me. Do you know this God? You're not getting higher toward heaven. You don't have the degrees and one person is higher than the other. No, God has said, I'll give each of you all of myself. In fact, scripture requires, it's not just the Holy Spirit that takes up residence in our life. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is resident in our life. There's more, but we'll visit that a later day. If you're here this morning and you have heard the call of God in your life and you've come to him confessing your sins and receiving the salvation that God gives you, do you know him? Do you really know him? You see, obedience comes from knowing him. Trust comes from knowing him. Giving comes from knowing Him. Service comes from knowing Him. These are not things that are drawn out of you. They are willingly given as offerings every day. Do you know Him? Maybe this morning you need to make a personal covenant with God. 
Lord, I don't know you like I should, but I want to. He's revealed himself. You may be here and you've, you say, well, I've, I've been coming to church for a long time. Listen, it doesn't matter how long, how far you've gone. And it don't matter how fast you started. It matters, do you know that you know that if you had died now, you'd open your eyes in the presence of God. And if you don't, there's a decision corner. I'll meet you there. If you'd just like to pray, if you want to ask questions, listen, I'm available. But you know what? The greatest desire of my heart this morning is that you would know God. Almost like when you wake up, good morning, God. Walk with me today. Father, your word is amazing. It meets every need. It provides everything. Call to you today, Lord, and may we, in our response to your call, come to you. And may by your spirit and word place the desire to know God in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.